Peace be upon you. God willing, today we're going to talk about patience. And it's something that uh, I ran into recently. Uh, I was working on a project with a, a friend, and you know, we were uh, at certain uh, deadlines and targets we were trying to hit. And it seemed like everything just took so much longer than it needed to. Uh, things that should have took hours ended up taking days. Uh, you know, we missed the deadline by about a week from where we thought we would. And it was funny, it all kind of hit this uh, apex where he gives me a call and he says, I don't know what to tell you. You know, uh, for some reason, the work I'm producing just isn't uh, to the quality of what I would expect. And uh, I, I, I don't know what, you know, what's going on. And it was this epiphany moment that, look, God is testing me. Uh, God wants to see, am I uh, going to trust in him? Am I going to lose my uh, confidence and get frustrated? Or am I going to understand that, look, God is in absolute control. And so much of our life, our happiness, our success, our righteousness is dependent on this concept of being patient, uh, understanding that God is doing absolutely everything. And there's a simple equation for happiness in life. Happiness is expectations minus reality. If your expectations are off to what reality delivers, then it's more likely than not you're going to get impatient, you're going to get frustrated, angry, um, and start complaining. And think of a simple example. If your commute to home, uh, to work, roughly should take 30 minutes and one day it takes an hour, you know, that's a, enough to push a lot of people over the edge uh, to get them angry and frustrated and cursing. And if you thought about the opposite, let's say we told you, hey, the, uh, the drive is going to take four hours and uh, you do it in one hour for God knows what reason. You <laughs> hit a wormhole and uh, you expedite that trip. Uh, you know, you'd be ecstatic. You'd be like, oh, wow, this is so great. And it's all about the expectations, right? In both scenarios, you take an hour of driving. It's just in one scenario, the expectation was going to take 30 minutes. The other one is going to take, you know, four hours. And um, we shouldn't let that dictate our happiness because we realize that God is doing absolutely everything. In chapter 16, verse 1, it reads, God's command has already been issued and everything has already been written. So do not rush it. Be he glorified the most high far above any idols they set up. And if you think, a lot of people, they ask, well, why doesn't God just give it to me? You know, I want to do charity. Uh, why doesn't God just give me a million dollars so I can do all this charity and I don't have to work and do all this other, you know, busy work? And the reality is if we got everything we wanted instantaneously, we would be so spoiled. Think of a child. Uh, imagine if a child got everything they wanted instantaneously. Uh, they want uh, chocolate. They want cookies. They want ice cream. They want to watch uh, movies. They want to, you know, be lazy, whatever. If they got that all the time without any kind of a delay uh, gratification, they would be the most spoiled brat you can imagine. And um, God doesn't want us to be uh, become disbelievers. In 43.33, it reads, If we're not that all the people might become one disbelieving congregation, we would have granted everyone who disbelieves in the most gracious mansions with silver roofs and stairs upon which they could climb. And we have to realize that there is a, uh, a very specific delay between where we uh, sow the seeds and we harvest the, the rewards. And the example is uh, littered in the, the, uh, the Bible and the Quran about the farmer. Right? The farmer doesn't put the seeds in the ground and instantly expect to have you know, fruits and vegetables and watermelon and pomegranate. Right? He realizes there's a process that this takes where you put the seeds in the ground, you water it continuously, and eventually, if you follow this process, you trust in the process, um, you're going to reap your reward. You're going to be able to harvest. And um, there's certain things that it just it requires things to happen on certain timelines. Uh, you think about putting cookies in an oven or uh, the fact that it takes nine months to, to have a baby uh, from uh, conception all the way to uh, delivery. 
And these aren't things that you can expedite, you can speed up. And to get frustrated and upset is uh, very short-sighted. In 1711, it reads, The human being often prays for something that may hurt him, thinking that he is praying for something good. The human being is impatient. And in 1712, it continues, We rendered a night and the day two signs. We made the night dark and the day lighted, that you may seek God's provisions from your Lord therein. This also establishes for you a timing system and a means of calculation. We thus explain everything in detail. And how awesome. God is saying, look, there's certain things you pray for thinking it's good for you when realistically it's not. And then he makes the example of uh, the timing system of uh, uh, the, uh, the the earth and the moon and the rotations. Um, and you realize, like, no one would be so naive to say, hey, you know, God, I'm just not a fan of these 24-hour days. Can we make them 23 hours? Or I don't like the fact that we have this 23.5 degree uh, uh axis on the uh, uh, the earth. Can we make it 22 degrees, right? I mean, you'd realize that the second you ask for something like that, if God was to deliver it, literally every, <laughs> the earth, the moon, we would all completely fly out of orbit. Everything that we know as far as for civilization, for a sustainability would be gone, wiped out because of such a small, uh, nuanced uh, request. And this is the same reality. I mean, no one's going to be so naive to ask God to uh, change the, uh, the, the the laws of uh, physics uh, for our convenience because we realize the ramifications of that. But when it comes to things in our life where we think we can control, right, why can't I make more money? Why can't I have that nice car? Why can't I have that amazing house or, you know, these uh, certain conditions? Um, what we don't see is that, look... If we were to get that, it would be absolutely detrimental to ourselves in ways that we can't even imagine. Um, and what happens a lot of time when you tell someone, hey, you got to be patient, uh, they think that this is an excuse to be lazy. They say, okay, I'll be patient. I'll just sit on the couch and I'll do nothing. And this is exactly not what you're supposed to do. Uh, patience is a, uh, is a strategy. And there's a difference between waiting and doing nothing, right? Waiting is deliberate. Uh, doing nothing is lazy. In 16.125, it says, How to Spread God's Message. You shall invite to the path of your Lord with wisdom and kind enlightenment and debate with them in the best possible manner. Your Lord knows best who is strayed from his path, and he knows best who are the guided ones. And if you punish, you shall inflict an equivalent punishment. But if you resort to patience instead of revenge, it'd be better for the patient ones. You shall resort to patience, and your patience is attainable only with God's help. Do not grieve over them and do not be annoyed by their schemes. God is with those who lead a righteous life and those who are charitable. So you see, like God says, look, someone uh, does you wrong, you're allowed to have an equitable response. But if you resort to patience, it's going to be best for you. And you see, patience is something that we have to uh, we have to call on. We have to deliberately pursue. It's not done out of laziness. And um, you see that, again, you know, patience can be a strategy. In 42.39, says, when gross injustice befalls them and they stand up for their rights, um, although the just recordal for injustice is an equivalent retribution, those who pardon and maintain righteousness are rewarded by God. He does not love the unjust. Certainly, those who stand up for their rights when injustice befalls them are not committing any error. The wrong ones are those who treat the people unjustly and resort to aggression without provocation. These have incurred a painful retribution. Resorting to patience and forgiveness reflects a true strength of character. 
So you see that it's something God says, look, you're, you're free to stand up for your rights and uh, you're not committing a sin in doing that. But if you choose to be patient, you choose to allow God to uh, uh, do justice, uh, to, for God to be your advocate, um, it's better for you. But it requires restraint. It requires self-discipline. It requires patience. That's only obtainable from God. But again, it's a deliberate strategy. Uh, I was reading a book from uh, the activist and uh, investor. It was actually about him, uh, Carl Icahn. And um, his strategy is when he would go to these negotiations is he would have them late in the night. Uh, and prior to that, he would take a nap. He would eat a, a nice meal. So he was well ready. And uh, when he starts a negotiation to wear the other person down, and you see that patience is something that we can uh, call on as a strategy. And I want to give a simple example that, you know, while we're being patient, it's not that we're being complacent. When you go to a restaurant, the person who's bringing you the food, getting you water, providing you with your bill has two names. One of them, it's a waiter, right? It's the waiter. The waiter is waiting on you to basically provide you with things. But they're also known as servers, right? These two names are interchangeable. That while you're waiting on someone, you're also serving that person. And this is a, a strategy we need to employ is that during those times when we're supposed to be patient, where we're supposed to wait for uh, God's timing, these are the times for us to, uh, to serve, to do good for others. And we see an awesome example of this in 28.22. It says in Midian, uh, so this is in regards to Moses. It says, as he traveled towards Midian, he said, my, uh, may my Lord guide me in the right path. When he reached Midian's water, he found a crowd of people watering. And notice two women waiting on the side. He said, what is it that you need? They said, we are not able to water until the crowd disperses. And her father is an old man. He watered for them, then turned to the shade, saying, My Lord, whatever provision you send to me, I am in dire need for it. Soon, one of the two women approached him shyly and said, My father invites you to pay you for your watering for us. When he met him, he told him his story. He said, Have no fear, you have been saved from the oppressive people. So here is Moses, exiled from uh, uh, Egypt and uh, wandering the desert with nothing, right? The clothes on his back. And uh, what he does is during this time of patience, he sees someone else in need, two women, and he says, hey, how can I serve you while I'm waiting? So he serves them. And then he goes to God and says, God, whatever you have to provide for me, I'm in dire need. And what does God reciprocate? God gives him his wife. He gives him shelter. He gives him food, gives him a job, eventually his family, prophethood, all this. Because during that time of patience, Moses wasn't being lazy. Moses wasn't being complacent. Moses was saying, okay, what can I do to grow from this situation? And an even better example of this is uh, Joseph, right? Joseph was uh, sold into slavery. He was uh, 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 sent to prison. And during, during these times, he was uh, uh, refining his skills, right? To the point that when he left, he could become the treasure of Egypt. Uh, he wasn't complacent when he was in the governors, and we see more examples of this in the Bible. And same thing in the prison. In the Bible, it says, you know, uh, people recognized his skills, the prison guards, and eventually he was running the prison. He was the one who was controlling uh, the, uh, the, the, the money and the food and basically the, uh, the operations within that prison. So he wasn't sitting back and saying, okay, I'm going to do nothing and whatnot. And uh, he was being very uh, uh, forthcoming. And what's awesome is that 
because of his patience, you know, God exonerated him. In 1251, it says, the king said to the women, what do you know about the incident when you try to seduce Joseph? They said, God forbid, we did not know of anything evil committed by him. The wife of the governor said, now the truth has prevailed. I am the one who tried to seduce him, and he was the truthful one. So God exonerated Joseph. Joseph didn't have to do anything. God is the one who cleared his name. And I want to draw a parable to a real-life example of someone very similar to this uh, situation. Um, and that was Muhammad Ali, uh, the boxer. So a little history. Uh, at the age of 18, in 1960, Muhammad Ali, he won the uh, uh, Summer Olympics uh, in light heavyweight boxing. And he was only 18 at the time. And by the time he was 22, he had the uh, heavyweight title uh, that he took away from Sonny Liston. And from 64 to 66... Muhammad Ali started uh, becoming a little more conscientious about uh, how African-Americans were being treated, uh, and he converted uh, to uh, Islam and changed his name from uh, Cassius Clay to Muhammad Ali. And in 1966, he basically refused to go to the uh, Vietnam War. And this is a quote I couldn't find exactly where it's been attributed to him numerous times, but where he said it says, the draft is about white people sending black people to fight yellow people to protect the country they stole from red people. So he was very much against uh, going to the Vietnam War. He thought that this wasn't his place. Why would he go there and basically uh, kill some people that he has nothing to do with? And because of that, he was uh, indicted. He had his uh, uh, heavyweight title stripped away from him. He was arrested and uh, thrown into prison. And um, he pretty much lost everything, right? Uh, his, uh, his way of uh, creating money, his boxing, his title... And um, it was during his prime age, and he had to wait. For three and a half years, he had to wait. And during that time, you had uh, George Foreman. So at the time, uh, Frazier, uh, Joe Frazier was the, uh, the new heavyweight uh, champion, and uh, George Foreman was the up-and-comer. And in 68, George Foreman got the uh, gold medal in uh, boxing. And um, by the time he was fighting uh, Joe Frazier, his title was uh, 37 uh, in O, and Joe Frazier was 29 in O. And uh, George Foreman had 34 knockouts, and <laughs> Frazier had 25. And people thought there's no way you know George Foreman is going to be able to uh, uh, take down uh, Joe Frazier. And literally in two rounds, George Foreman knocked Frazier down six times and uh, won the fight. And then the second uh, person who was up for the uh, – so that made George Foreman the heavyweight title – uh, champion and uh, the next person was Norton and he just pulverized Norton and um, at this time uh, uh, Muhammad Ali was trying to get back into fighting so his three and a half year uh, stint was done and he was allowed to fight again and uh, he was coming up but then he lost to Joe Frazier so he had to go and fight his way through and he just barely beat, beat Norton and now uh, George Foreman had the title so he challenged Foreman to a fight, and uh, people thought there's no way at that time. Uh, George Foreman was 25 years old, right at his, uh, what they considered his peak, and uh, Muhammad Ali was 32 years old, where they said, look, he's a, a little beyond uh, the, the ideal fighting age. And in 1974, they had the Rumble in the Jungle, which is considered the, uh, the greatest sporting event of the uh, 20th century. And uh, people thought there's no way that Muhammad Ali, after all these years, is going to be able to regain his title, especially uh, after losing to Frazier and barely beating Norton, uh, who, you know, both people, uh, George Foreman, just uh, completely devastated. 
And for four rounds, uh, Muhammad Ali was just taking a beating, but he was taking it very strategically. Uh, he was letting uh, George Foreman just gas out, you know, punch as hard as he could and not be able to make uh, ideal contact. And um, at the fourth round, Ali's asking Foreman, says, hey, uh, is that all you got? Is that all you got? And Foreman says, yes, that's all I got. And he gasses out. And the next four rounds, uh, Ali just continuously, uh, strategically is taking him down to the point that in the eighth round, uh, he knocks out Foreman. And this was completely, uh, you know, non-scene. So now, basically, uh, he has his title back. Uh, he was exonerated for uh, the, the draft dodging. Um, and uh, he's, you know, considered one of the greatest fighters of all time. And you see that it's like it's this element of patience. Can you imagine four rounds of just getting pulverized and pulverized, but knowing that you're in it for the long run, right? You're in it for the long game because you realize those uh, those last four rounds, those are going to be your rounds. And in 10.109, it says, follow what is revealed to you and be patient until God issues his judgment. He is the best judge. 21.37, the human being is impatient by nature. I will inevitably show you my signs. Do not be in such a hurry. So why is it that we know this, right? We know God is running everything. God is in complete control. Why is it that we uh, keep forgetting? Uh, and the aspect is the human being is forgetful by nature. We see that even in Joseph. Uh, you know, God inspired Joseph that uh, he established him on earth, that he had great things in store for him. Yet when he was in prison, what did he do? He forgot and he basically asked uh, his uh, comrade in prison uh, for help. He says, uh, 1242, he then said to the one to be saved, remember me at your Lord. Thus the devil caused him to forget his Lord and consequently he remained in prison a few more years. And uh, we see the same example uh, with Moses and the teacher, right? So Moses uh, asked God for, uh, he wants to better understand his ways. God assigns a teacher to him and three times in a very short span of time, Moses forgets because the teacher says, look, you can't stand to be uh, to bear to be with me. How can you stand that which you do not understand? And Moses profusely says, I can't, I can't, trust me, trust me. And each time the teacher does something, uh, Moses forgets and he complains. And in 1869, he said, he said, you will find me God willing, patient. I will not dis disobey any command you give me. Yet he continues, right? Three times he, he forgets. He questions what the teacher does. And in uh, 1837, he said, he said, I am sorry. Do not punish me for, for my forgetfulness. Do not be too harsh with me. So as human beings, we continuously forget. And um, that's the reason that we need to be uh, consistent. Uh, we see this a uh, couple more examples is um, uh, the golden calf, right? The children of Israel. Uh, the second after the, God saves them from the uh, oppression of uh, uh, Pharaoh and uh, Moses leaves to uh, talk with God, what do they do? They say, hey, you know what? Let's uh, put our gold together and let's start worshiping this golden calf. Like, <laughs> how short-sighted. Um, how ridiculous. And uh, <laughs> same thing with uh, with Jacob. Uh, you know, Jacob, uh, again, it's incredibly tough. He loses Joseph and he says, uh, quite patience is my only recourse and immediately starts grieving, right? And it's the difference between knowing and doing. Um, we can know a lot of stuff. We know God is running everything. But to actually believe it, to put it into fruition, to put it into action takes a lot more work. And it requires this element of consistency to be deliberate. Uh, consistency in 1440, uh, it reads, My Lord, make me one who consistently observes the contact prayer Salat, and also my children. Our Lord, please answer my prayers. 
2238 uh, says, You shall consistently observe the contact prayers, especially the middle prayer, and devote yourselves totally to God. 7034, they consistently observe their contact prayer salat on time. Right? Why is it that five times a day we have to perform the salat? It's because we forget. We have to continuously be have God on our mind. And God tells us in 24, uh, verse 14, it says, I am God, there's no other God beside me. You shall worship me alone and observe the contact prayer salat to remember me. By doing the prayers, again, we're being deliberate. We're realizing, okay, we have to think about God. We have to understand his attributes, that God is doing absolutely everything. So if we ever get frustrated, we ever get uh, complacent, we ever get uh, doubtful, right, we have these contact prayers. And uh, it has to become part of our daily practice. And that's the reason, you see, God tells us so many things to do repeatedly, to always give to charity, to always commemorate God, to always think about God, to make God your top priority. Because as human beings, we forget. And um, God willing, we're going to stop there. If you guys got any comments or questions, hit us up at crontalk at gmail.com or on Twitter at talkcron. Until next time, peace and God bless.